0: Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the podcast. I'm Catherine Ryan from Telling Everybody Everything, with Catherine Ryan, me.
1: Yes, and I'm Dame Baptiste from Dame Baptiste Questions Everything, and I'm joined by my regular co-host, Howard Cohen, a.k.a. Dehiza. Thanks for tuning in. This isn't any old episode of either podcast, this is a bonus episode for both of our shows.
0: Hooray! Welcome to the Audible Comedy Club, brought to you by Audible and Acast Creative. Dane and I have been friends for a very long time. A very, very... I mean, I don't even like looking at old photos of us at this point, Dane.
1: Oh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. But it's pretty good. We are both had uh, points at our time where we, who knew we'd make it this far and be where we are today. And we've made it. And uh, we again have a reunion in a comedy club.
0: Well, we've had a lot of virtual <laughs> like meetups since. Do you remember IRL? Like when we first knew each other we were gigging in comedy clubs we were touring together and we saw each other so much more and now we live in the podcast world and we only get to see each other like this so that's why I mean it's it's a pleasure we have to book it in the actual calendar with agents to see each other now.
2: Didn't you two used to go on like long car journeys to gigs together isn't that a lot of stuff that you guys had to do? Yeah we, we transfers the entire oh I'd say the entire
1: country we, we've been to Wales together we've been to uh we've performed in London. And-
0: do you remember the first time we met?
1: I do I think we were in you were at Streatham High Street Station I think <laughs> we were going to a gig in Portsmouth yes we were to drive and uh, to drive uh and very quickly pick you up as we were moving
2: uh,
0: yeah and what, I didn't Portsmouth or something it was Portsmouth and I didn't really you know I was how old would I have been like 27 and my daughter was young and I didn't trust a lot of men and the gig, this was the time when you, you couldn't get a driver. You couldn't even pay for your own train sometimes. So it was like yeah. <laughs> the middle spot, a gentleman called Dane is going to pick you up in Streatham. So like already it sounded quite dodgy and, it's like, <laughs> and he's going to drive you to Portsmouth. And I was like, Oh, mm, I hope he's nice. Cause I didn't know you. And then you were absolutely delightful. You picked me up and not only did you pick me up, But you were a gentleman, very, very chatty about all the pop culture stuff that I love, music that I love. We had a lot of the similar interests. And then your gentlemanliness ran out because as soon as we arrived, you went on stage uh, in the middle. You smashed the gig to the point that I could not follow you. And then when you're paying for parking at the end, all these punters kept coming up to both of us and telling us both how you should have been the headliner. You did better than me. It was, it was one a, of those it was, nights. It was an
1: odd experience. Uh, but I also remember that you dealt with that in a very classy way. And uh, some people would have made it a, even a more of an awkward situation, but it was absolutely fine. I also disagreed at the time as well, but it was a uh, lovely trip and a very, very well met. And uh, it was uh, the beginning of a beautiful friendship, which was uh, constantly maligned by my girlfriend at the time.
0: How does your girlfriend feel about us being friends now, Dane, your current partner?
1: Oh, she's fine with it. She knows who you are. Big fan of your yeah. podcast as well. Um, my husband's fine with
0: it now too so you know our friendship now we've got secure partners we're (laughs) loving our lives and we're meeting at the audible comedy club with zero jealousy
1: exactly it's uh, a only way only way is up and even though you uh you've lost a retainer now and i've lost my hair we're still happy (laughs) productive people always striving to better ourselves all the time and that's the main
2: thing
0: yeah yeah not a lot has
2: changed So one thing we know about both of our audiences is that you love comedy, and in particular, listening to comedy. Uh, It's the reason you press play. Uh, Now, I know I get a lot of recommendations for new books or TV shows from podcasts. So today, we're hopefully going to give you your next binge listen.
0: Yeah, I have spent the last week listening to some brilliant podcasts on Audible, This week, I went for Time Wasters by the hilarious Dara O'Brien. These guys opted for Mo Gilligan's spotlight. So what you'll hear over the next 30 minutes or so in this edition of the Audible Comedy Club is exactly what we thought of these podcasts and the comedians behind them.
2: Catherine, are you going to kick things off?
0: Sure. So Dara O'Brien is a wonderful... Irish man and I'm an Irish citizen though I don't sound like it and I get a lot of flack for that it's it's difficult I don't mean to like cry the biggest white tears ever but when you are uh, Celtic skinned like me but grew up in Canada I've never really felt Canadian because to be ethnically Canadian you're not Irish and we all know what transpired over there to make Canada look the way it does now I feel very culturally Irish. My dad's Irish. My dad grew up there. And now I live here. And people tell me all the time, like, go back to where you came from. And I don't really know where that is.
1: I don't know. Well, you're a real immigrant now. So that's good. I know. I <laughs> it's
0: it's refreshing when someone who looks like me can hear that. Uh, but I have a, this kinship with the Irish people, even though they don't fully accept me. And Dara O'Brien is such an accomplished, such a very funny, such a uniquely Irish speaking man. Mm. He was so welcoming to me when I was first invited to be a guest on Mock the Week, a panel show in the BBC that has now ended. Dara O'Brien is one of the original kings of the panel show. It's such a funny show. And now he's even more wonderful on the Audible podcast, Dara O'Brien's Time Wasters. I love this podcast because he talks about different... Uh, moments in life that you wish you could get back. You might have wasted your time either queuing or being in the wrong relationship or being stuck in the wrong job. Just, When Your Lives and Time Have Been Most Wasted. And he has two comedy guests on every podcast. And they make something that might sound like a downer. Very funny, very fun, and super relatable. It's a relatable celebration of our completely misspent lives.
2: It really is relatable, isn't it? I mean, you listen to some of it and you think to yourself that, God, yeah, like there's a lot of things that we spend our time you know, just wasted. Right. I mean, it's a debatable thing. Do you feel like you've wasted it or I mean, where would you, what would you do if you went on this show?
0: Well, I've definitely wasted time in relationships, but I wouldn't ask for that time back. I feel like meaningful lessons were learned. I was friends with Dane, regardless of what my boyfriend said about it. Um, and then <laughs> I think. <laughs> the, the only... my, my
1: girlfriend said much worse. So <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I think the only bugbear that I have about wasting time is meetings that could have been emails. Oh. In my life, I feel that most meetings that I attend could have been emails, could have been a text. I don't like being called on the phone. There's another comedian uh, called Gary Gulman who's very funny. And he's got very relatable current material about his phone. Like, how dare you call me on the app on my phone called phone you make a text message you you make an appointment to speak to me I just I just feel like so much of this stuff if there is a silver lining of the lockdowns is that people learned to do a lot of things virtually and that cuts out a lot of travel and that is how I've wasted my time on delayed trains going to meetings that could have been emails.
2: Mm. Dane do you relate to this what do you, What would you do if you were going on this show what kind of time wasting things have you uh got in your life?
1: Oh def- definitely I think that procrastination is kind of like the uh, curse of every uh, that balances every gift that every talented person has and I think a lot of the time if I was able to uh, make tangible a lot of the stuff I think of I'd probably be uh, considered much more of an artistic genius so I spend a lot of time thinking about things and then the time I spent thinking about them I don't necessarily carry them out because even before I started comedy I found ways to very creatively procrastinate before getting on stage, like, can I do a writing course? Can I do a creative writing course? Can I do an improv course? Can I do an acting course? Can I do everything other than just uh, take the leap of faith and actually go on stage and give comedy a go? So, I'm very over-favored procrastination. I am definitely have a real magpie brain sometimes where I'll be engaging in something, and then I'll see something shiny, normally on YouTube, and uh, can be very easily distracted. And uh, as uh, Catherine said, phones can also give way to that distraction, because at times, where my attention is called upon, uh, when it could be done something done over email, these phones are too enabling for me to mm-hmm. kind of allow my attention to wander because I can open up another tab and have another app while I'm also trying to listen at the same time. Um, so, if you guys notice that, don't take it personally. My attention, <laughs> my attention is uh, attention span is just terrible sometimes.
2: I mean, I I think it is interesting because you know I I would say like big broad subjects come up for me like watching sport. What an absolute waste of my life <gasps> that that has been in a in majority, Catherine, like a, a little bit of it's all right, but I've got way too much general knowledge about football. Mm. You, you don't need this. I like the one that Laura Lex said about she's every time she rewatches the office, the American office TV show, she still watches the credits every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Skip them. No, I mean, I don't know.
1: Those people, those people did work too. So maybe she's just trying to honor them as well. I think, you know, I yeah. think you become more attuned to it as well. The more you're involved in comedy and you're involved in more of the uh, editorial aspects of it, then you pay much more attention to the credits. And I guess that's anyone who works in the industry because it's like, for example, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has made it. So you pay attention to the credits. If for nothing else, you're waiting <laughs> for the post credit scene. Yeah. So, oh. yeah.
2: Is there think... any stories that chimed with you that you heard from uh, the Time Wasted show, Catherine?
0: Well, I love Laura Lex. She's a brilliant comedian and she was a great guest. I love that Dara has a lot of female comics as guests, different socioeconomic backgrounds and ethnic backgrounds. And I think Mock the Week got some criticism for not having that, but it was one of the early panel shows. I think they did 27 series. And when I stepped down from doing Mock the Week, one of my reasons was every time I go on, I'm the only woman and I know I'm taking a job away from someone in my demographic. So it's time for me to step down. That was uh publicized as a boycott which it absolutely wasn't and this is (laughs) another reason why i have to always uh listen and subscribe to dara obrien's time wasters because it it was never Uh, anything to do with Dara. I love Dara. I think he's so inclusive. He's so funny. He is married to a surgeon. You know, he really respects women and he has so many female guests. So my favorite episode was probably Carrie Godleman and Maisie Adams, two Mm -hmm. of my very favorite comics. And it was two women on one show, which happens now, uh, which didn't happen on Mock the Week when I used to go on. And I'm glad to see that. And they're both also two of the strongest just funniest comedians in the country. So, um, they're, they're from different generations of comedy though. Maisie Adams just kind of started not too long ago. And Carrie Godleman is someone that I looked up to when I moved to this country and started doing comedy. So they talk about, again, Dane phones and the role that phones have in distracting you from what you're doing. So Carrie would waste time with her mother. She reminisces about talking about who's dead Like, oh, she's dead. No, I don't think she's dead. That actress is definitely dead. Oh, no, she died in a (laughs) snowmobile incident. And you had no way of Googling that. You just had to carry on not knowing every time they were dead. And now you can just turn to your phone instantly and find these things out. Maisie's mom will still watch programs. And right at the end, when Maisie's waiting to see who's going to be revealed as a gossip girl or something in the series, her mom will chime in with like, oh, is that the Empire State Building or is it? She'll get distracted by something else in the program. and <laughs> You need to use your phone to get to the bottom of these time-wasting diversions from enjoying an actress or enjoying a show. And that really resonated with me. It reminds me of some of the chats I used to have with my mom pre-phones. And I do, I'm I'm like Maisie. I want to pick my phone up and just find the answer. It has all of the world's information available instantly at your fingertips, and so we don't have to waste time anymore, you know, debating who's dead or alive. Although, Tupac, jury's still out.
1: <laughs> yes. <Yeah. Of course, laughs> some of the podcasts I've listened to, yeah, that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> There's no phone to answer that question.
1: Yeah, Tupac's not just a person, it's an idea, you know, just like Batman. So that can change yeah. all the time, hopefully.
2: Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good show, well worth listening to. I mean, it's definitely relatable. I mean, God, the, the amount of uh, things that people waste their time on. Uh, I mean, I I waste my time losing my patience with with people. I often think that's an absolute waste. I just just find a solution, right? Just well, just...
0: obviously, Howard, you're watching too much football. The hooliganism is just creeping in, <laughs> and you're reacting your toxic masculinity out in the world.
2: Uh, it's just my mother's computer's broken, Catherine. It's really mm. difficult patience testing times.
0: <laughs> I hate that you think watching football is a waste of time because. There are no guilty pleasures. There are just pleasures. And if you enjoy sport, if you find it meditative, you know, you're a busy man. If you relax by watching football and it brings you joy to know all of the players and all the stats and all this useless, Mm. as you call it, football information, then it's not a waste. I feel that some of my greatest mistakes and greatest waste of time have been my most meditative, like Mm. enriching moments. And even Dane, you talk about how you procrastinated before getting on stage. I think, number one, you could have a bit of neurodiversity there. Most creatives do. Who knows? But also, it's like that's part of the process. It's, you know, how teachers talk about all this prep time. Yeah. Well, we need prep time. You know, a comedian's prep time might be going for a walk and eating some Doritos. That still counts. It's part of the process.
1: And everyone needs the space as well. I think there's a lot too much pressure for people to kind of maintain this uh, constant productivity, which is not how people work. We're not, we're not worker bees and they may not be an objective to just doing stuff all the time and I found yeah. actually on that point this is true because essentially I spent a lot of time being like who are the comedians I like and what were their lives like and what were the similarities between their lives and my own and uh, that led to a very very deep wikipedia dive because I when I began this research maybe 10 years ago before becoming a comic I hadn't really become that aware of a uh, wikipedia but then mm you know you click after click after click and before you knew it i'd started off with uh chris rock and by the end i was on like world war two and what precipitated <laughs> that and the austro-hungarian empire and you can kind of do that and so you know it's procrastination but i think now you know when you do get the opportunities to appear on shows like uh rock the week um then you can cite facts that you know that would normally hold people's attention or allow you to hold court in like a social setting. So. interesting to say
2: i think it's just moderation i think that's the all i'd say moderation Catherine. you know you want to try like i've watched frazier too many (laughs) times too many times uh and and it's at the point now where i'm like yeah it's probably time to 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 do something else
0: no see i think this is why i liked our (laughs) obrien's time wasters because i think i need to be wasting more time i'm too productive if anything i love wasting time i'm gonna waste more time (laughs)
2: <laughs> but then you scroll on Instagram, you just scroll. Like, Do you know again. how nice
0: that would be? Do you know how lovely that would be? I have two babies under two and I work full time, and I have also taken a husband. I have a teenager. My life is very dangerous. Everyone's in a different phase of life. Like someone's teething, someone's on their period. I always have to stay alert. And <laughs> for my birthday, I, my husband was like, what should we do? We have to do something. He's a, he's a real action man. It's your 40th birthday. It's a big milestone. Let's go somewhere. Let's do something. And I said, no, I said, can we waste some time? And we went to a hotel in London and I just laid there watching telly, scrolling on my phone. And I had a nap and I wasted Uh. about 18 hours of time. And it was the best time I ever wasted. It was so wonderful not to have anyone crying or asking me for something or you know thirsty i just wasted the most beautiful time and it was it was revolutionary it was so revitalizing and then i went home and you know now i miss wasting time i haven't wasted a <laughs> moment since
2: Ah, uh, the nap the nap when you don't have the children around what a beautiful nap that and
0: is. i feel like that's why i would recommend this podcast to people people like me who long for the days when they used to waste time. And that's, that's what the podcast is to me. You know, I've just realized it. It's just a beautiful, like, uh, reminiscing look back at my youth. And hopefully I can waste time again one day soon.
2: Yeah. Well, I think we've got to the bottom of Dara Brian's Time Wasters.
0: Yeah. Dane, what about you? What podcast did you dive into? on Audible.
1: The podcast I dived into on Audible was Mo Gilligan's Spotlight which basically, Mm. uh, following Mo Gilligan's uh, meteoric rise over the last five years, he has begun a showcase with Audible where he is bringing uh, the talents of comics that he has met on his travels and with his interactions to the foreground so that uh, some audiences who may not be aware of the up and coming comedians that are on, I guess, what you would call the underground comedy circuit can kind of be aware of uh, who their new... uh, I guess, objects of adulation will be based on this podcast. Um, I think it's always very encouraging. I love seeing comedians like Mo who have enjoyed uh, significant access, like yourself, Catherine. And normally one of your first practices always is to share that spotlight and give a platform to up-and-coming comedians like myself uh, to realise their potential as well. Um, So, yeah, I guess in that respect, it helps me to reflect on the fact that very early on, and I should definitely say, one of the uh, key points about Catherine uh, and I's relationship is that early on, when Catherine was touring, there were no other comedians that were interested in bringing me along on tour. And despite the uh, very acerbic attitudes of the people in Portsmouth, Catherine was still prepared <laughs> to give me the opportunity to spend time, not just with her on the road, but also to get to know her family, which I found very endearing and I thank you for every day. Um, uh, but yeah, it was well... great to begin to build a fan base by uh, being a support act and uh learning stagecraft and also learning how to uh learning a work life balance of uh raising a family as well as uh pursuing your creative endeavors as well so I'll tell you the you only know. reason
0: other comedians didn't want you opening for them is because it was going to be the same experience that happened to me when you did better and then you were unfollowable hmm. but I think it's very canny to have an opener who is unfollowable and then i had to get better every night because you were so good and i want to give people the best show and it's not just about me just choosing someone to be mediocre and then i come save the day after the interval i want strong 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 so anyone who is not asking for a strong opener is just afraid
1: and fear and fear is never helpful in this industry like Catherine let me go on first and do my thing at a time when we were sharing the same venue as Peter Andre. Like that's the level of significance that we're dealing with. Um, you know, I I don't know what he's doing now. He seems to be doing okay, but this yeah. is about Mo Gilligan and not about Peter Andre for once. Um, but yeah, obviously I'd uh, worked with Mo extensively. Uh, we had had the uh, same manager. Uh, Mo actually opened for me previously uh, at one of my first tours in Cardiff, uh, mm. which worked out very well because um, a lot of Mo's family came to visit. And yeah, um, yeah he was uh able to help me with my numbers uh but i've always had a good relationship with him and uh i think mo as nature has always been to empower comedians when he can uh my most uh i guess endearing story about mo is that i uh i performed at the palladium in london and uh the palladium requires you to have smart dress and i think at the time mo had been working in retail so he may have been working in retail. or he had been working in retail but he basically got out of his bed very early in the morning and met me up at oxford circus and basically helped me pick out a suit and a jacket and uh. even had me and even folded my pocket square for me uh, because of the experience um at no benefit to himself so he was always prepared to help out so um if wow. anything else i'm happy to listen to this podcast uh, just to support him and uh, definitely support the work he does um sometimes for some reason we are uh mysteriously compared as acts i imagine because we're both black british acts from southeast london but well, that's probably you where are? the ends
2: yeah i know <laughs> this is a podcast so it's just an audio format
1: for those of you who are listening now maybe not seeing mo and i are not the same person but um yeah it's all it's been a very uh, encouraging thing to see somebody who has been so positive and is relentlessly charismatic and friendly continue to empower other people with his own fame, much like I've seen with Catherine yourself.
2: Catherine, did you uh, cross paths with Mo uh, in your comedy journey many times?
0: No, because when Dane mentions the underground comedy circuit, he's using that word to replace black. Wow. And there is in this country kind of a black comedy circuit. And then if you cross over out of that, I don't know if the, the same is true now, but certainly 10 years ago, Uh, When Dane and I were working a lot together, Dane was one of the mainstream acts. Am I using the right language, Dane? It would be like black comedy circuit. And then there's also an alternative sort of comedy circuit for the stranger acts. There's an improv comedy circle, but mainstream was predominantly white, predominantly privately educated, predominantly men. And so Mo Gilligan, I love what he's doing. And Dane does the same thing. You know, I think that when you come from any visible minority in your industry it is an important thing to lift others up, not just out of you know benevolence, but because it's important to say to audiences like there isn't just one gay comedian, there isn't just one disabled comedian, there isn't just one female comedian, there isn't just one black comedian from Southeast London. Like there are so many, and they've chosen, uh, in my case, pedestal feminism. Put one of them on TV, and then you go, look, we got one on TV but there are so many others and they're so different and they all have very unique stories to tell and so i would be very interested to listen to Gilligan's spotlight on audible because you know i i want i want to hear as many stories as i can i feel like that makes me a a more well-rounded individual like that's what i'm looking for i don't want to hear the same story again and again and again and luckily I'm smart enough to know that <laughs> not only are Dane and Mo different people, but there are so many talented comedians from that circuit who are now breaking through and are becoming more mainstream. But I mean, it's, we're all mainstream. We all should be mainstream if we're talented enough.
2: There's so many people featured on the series, Eddie Caddy, uh, uh, Michael Oduali, uh, Kate Kurd, who's a friend, big friend of our, our show, right, Dane. And, and I thought it was really interesting listening to it. And I was going to ask you guys both this question. Which is it? It is difficult to because I've done a really good job on this show of capturing live comedy, just as an audio thing. Like when you're watching it on telly, I think people have just capturing the audio and making people laugh is tough. Why? Why is that so hard?
1: <laughs> I don't. Think, I don't think it's actually been that hard historically. Myself personally, like I was kind of reared on a lot of comedy albums, and I think particularly in North America. Comedy albums had a massive boom sometime around the 70s and stuff. And even today with like satellite radio, and it might be just because of just the sheer size of the landmass that people are a lot more reliant on uh, consuming comedy in an in an audio and oral fashion. And um, so it, it seems like it's be strange because obviously people are so massively overstimulated nowadays mm. that it's not enough for you to just tell good jokes and be able to use your uh, words and vocabulary to create a vivid picture. So I think returning to this classic model of uh, good comedy and also being able to have more efficiently record all of the atmosphere can work well uh, as as well as uh, visualisation. So I, I, I think it's become, it became more difficult because maybe people were adverse to risk, but I don't think it was a risk. I think that historically, even most people would have consumed comedy via radio before everyone had a television in their home. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's still uh, very effective. So I think what I enjoy about this podcast is that the setup uh, is very good where you can kind of hear the laughter and individual laughter. And almost there's almost an element that you're hearing a different style of laughter that you may have been historically used to on the mainstream. Uh, because I can talk about uh, the black comedy circuit where um, you one of the uh, key uh, differences between the black circuit and the mainstream circuit is that if you are not funny, you will not get a polite applause at the end of the performance. <laughs> you will find out within thirty seconds if you are funny or not, and if you do find out, it will be a very long day for you. Um, you'll definitely get that kind of honesty, which has its benefits and drawbacks. I guess the drawbacks is that when you hear someone go, Ugh, and it's <laughs> and it's and it's audible within a okay. uh, venue, that can be very tough because then that that becomes like a low level of chat where people are like, yeah, this guy's not very good. I see him here. I don't know why. Oh, and then that can begin to build until you know, somebody will be abrasive enough to be like, oh, just boom, man, just pass the microphone, uh, which can be <laughs> soul-destroying. And I have experienced that myself. Um, but oh. at the same time, if you do uh, the payback, when you do hit your punchlines very well and people enjoy it, uh, it's unmatched when people on the black circuit, which is not just, it's predominantly black, but uh, people of all different walks of life and socioeconomic mm-hmm. groups are patrons to these shows. When people do enjoy what you're doing, then you uh, will enjoy a rapturous amount of validation that you probably do not get from maybe somewhat more repressed uh, mainstream audiences. So mm. I think, um, yeah, when you do well in a black room, that's what doing well really feels like. And I love that uh, this podcast is kind of bringing that culture to uh, maybe some uh, un- unenlightened ears. And uh, yeah, it's, it works very well in that respect.
2: When, when you're working on something that's just audio in stand-up, would you change your the way you deliver your material? A good
1: question. I feel, I think that, um, I might, I may not change delivery. I guess um, it may be the section of material, but I, I guess historically, because I became aware of comedy, uh, through comedy, uh, or audio recordings, I guess I've tried to have a style myself where I don't really have to rely too much on visual stimuli in order to, uh, engage the audience. Um, so I, I guess I'll pick the right stuff, but I think, you know, Comedy is more about energy than it is just a about what you can see and hear. And people can kind of pick up on that. Uh, Do you agree
2: with that, Catherine? Would you would you change it if you're doing just an audio-based performance?
0: I wouldn't, but I'm not a very physical performer. There are certain performers in the UK that you watch them uh, on television, for example, and they're running all around and they're moving around. They have a lot of facial expressions that help. I certainly use some of that, but I think even from being a guest on on podcasts, from podcasting. Uh, I think I've become more audio friendly. I, do, does that make sense? Like, I think that if you're doing a big arena, you need to run around. But if you're writing, especially long form comedy, I think, I don't know, I, I've never changed. I, I Maybe I'm just not versatile enough to like alter a so, so, so little. bit. So something
1: you think about, I guess, because like, yeah. even if you were trying to, Because I guess with comedy, you're always trying to emulate like a kind of conversation. And so even if you were talking on the phone to somebody or recanting a particularly funny story, you wouldn't necessarily be like, I need to show you this. Like these are now amenities we have now because you can send somebody a screenshot or you can send somebody a picture and a visual representation of what you're describing. But I think it can always still be equally effective um, just by kind of recanting, just using a microphone and being able to amplify your voice.
0: I love the audio medium because it has really dwindled down the amount of men humping stools (laughs) agreed you'd see that in comedy clubs all the time they'd be talking about some sexual encounter and they and then the audience just laughs and laughs as they like hump a stool it's a real classic
1: (laughs) comedy club make things a lot more democratic because you can find men humping stuff outside your home all the time exactly and they wouldn't normally be paid for it so yeah, I think it's it's definitely worked there as well. But I also think that it's um it's also very effective because people are able to develop context about who you are. I mm-hmm. think in a time where identity politics and aesthetics plays a large part of people's uh, popularity and their visibility, particularly with social media, being able to just uh you know use a audio medium in order to communicate and to express yourself artistically, yeah, is uh is very is very helpful because if nothing else, it removes. The uh, tendency for people to make judgments about you based on your appearance, mm. whereas if people can hear you, then they are able to find that mutuality without you know that barrier that might be created because they are always have uh, different images suggested to them about who you should be. Because a lot of the time, comedians uh, in earlier parts of their career have to come on stage and be like, "I know what you're thinking," and then yeah. the, last part <laughs> of the set in the beginning is subverting that belief based on their appearance. Yeah. Whereas with an audio uh, with an audio set, then people don't have to do that because they can just. Just talk and then people can determine who you are by listening to who you are rather than just uh, forming that opinion based on how you look. But if they
0: already know what you look like, for example, Dane, I know what you look like, but to listen to you with headphones first of all, I have more opportunities to listen to comedy albums than to watch comedy specials. But also I feel like there's an intimacy about it. You can take a comedian with you gardening, you can cook in the kitchen and listen to them and you can be doing something with your hands and looking at your chopping board so you don't hurt yourself. But you know what I mean? Not looking up at a screen. And I think to have that time away from the screen, you digest it a little bit differently. you know. And, and like you say, like I love hearing the crowd's reactions and I might not pay enough attention if there's lots to look at but if I'm listening to it that is my favorite part especially with this kind of comedy that you mentioned up the creek I can't wait because I'll be I'll be honest I haven't listened much to Mo Gilligan's spotlight and now I really want to just to hear the crowd I'm obsessed it's
2: it's well worth giving a go and I think the team did a really good job of capturing live comedy which isn't always easy no to do that's what Dane's listened to we have heard what Catherine's listened to what else have we got
1: well, in addition to that, I also listened to uh, Jamali's uh, podcast, which is uh, Spooky, Spooky Shit, with Jamali Maddox. Uh, Jamali Maddox is also a longtime colleague and friend that I've worked with. And I uh, also previously appeared in the first season of this podcast myself. Yeah. Um, mm. But I do like it. I think one of the best things I enjoy about all comedy podcasts is that they show an extra dimension to how comedians kind of think and what they are interested in and what their hobbies are outside of performing. So I think you get very limited time to talk about what you like in comedy because people assume. You're a comedian, you like making jokes, everything's funny to you and the uh, existential crisis or anything that you may believe is always made into a joke and therefore that's who you are. And it's not as much as we are comedians and we try to embody the art form, it's not the entirety of our being. So that's why I like this podcast, because I think one of the reasons I honed the comedy voice was that comedy was a, re- a remedy to a lot of the existential crises and irrational fears that I had. And mm. so it's nice that a comedian has something that we can kind of discuss what uh, was
0: your paranormal experience on your episode of Jamali's Spooky Shit?
1: So it was about me recollecting a story I'd heard when I was in Grenada, where my family are from. My mom's actually from an even smaller island called Karaku People there are very superstitious and I very, mm. uh, very openly believe in what we would call the paranormal or metaphysical here. Because uh, I remember, for example, my grandmother, when I was here, or because you get a lot of, I guess, outside dogs in the Caribbean or wild dogs, sometimes they're called popcake dogs will be like mixed breed dogs who don't really go inside the house, but are keep kept as guard dogs. But they're treat people treat them relatively well. One night, dogs are going crazy, and where my grandma lives at the time, like it's quite rural. So if the moon isn't out, then it can be pitch black. Mm. If you don't have if you don't have torches, so the perfect setting for a horror film. And normally, we all know that no, uh, the presence of a malevolent spirit is uh predicated. By the animals going crazy, they're always the yeah, first to know. They know. So these dogs are going wild, and I'm like, "Grandma, what's wrong with these dogs?" And she's like, "They can see things that human beings can't see." And then we, me and my cousin, had to go and sleep in the basement. And <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a, it was, it was, a, it was a tough night. But I feel like that experience, uh, after that experience, I began to enjoy returning to my roots a lot more. But for that one night where there was no moon, those dogs, and I think what happened was we opened the door to the uh, basement apartment, and the chicken just walked out chicken yeah there's a chicken walks out and i was like "What? how did this even get in here like this is insane um but i think yeah when you once you combine that with like the aesthetic of the caribbean like it's quite tropical obviously people are very much believe in what might be called obia or black magic or uh and are very superstitious people um being steeped to that culture uh as skeptical as you'd like to be it's very difficult to ignore when that is pervaded on all of that culture so uh, I say it because one of the podcasts I listened to with Jamali was with uh, Babatunde Aleshi, and Babatunde mm-hmm. is uh, Nigerian but more specifically Europe, Europa and he was saying quite interestingly that in Europa they have a belief system where they have a path of gods like they are like it's like on the one hand they're monotheistic and they believe in God and they are very open about the fact they believe in God like I would say Nigeria if Nigeria like Nigeria is kind of similar to Texas in that it's the most one of the biggest places the most populous place in Africa people yeah. are uh massively explicitly polite and outspoken as well and uh and they are also very oil rich but they're massively staunch christians and mm. they don't care who knows it and you will see viral videos of people speaking in tongues and screaming out in jesus name if a plane experiences turbulence <laughs> <on a> flight <laughs> to nigeria which sounds like a technical and uh, a, a technological issue but if there's enough Nigerian passengers on the plane, that will become a spiritual issue. And you Ooh. might find yourself relying more on the power and the blood of Jesus Christ than any aviation engineer. And he was just talking about how steeped in this culture there is and the stories of uh when one of uh the aunties or a, a friend of the church had seen like a uh an idol outside of a shop in Seven Sisters Market in North London, which she perceived to be like a malevolent spirit. So she returned there with what he called an army of pastors in order to perform a group exorcism. And I was like, that sounds crazy, but nope, when you're aware of that culture, that happens all the time. Like there are certain things my mother, I don't know if my mother would let a dream catcher in the house. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure she's into that kind of thing. So I could definitely relate to it. And it's funny because Jamali is a, he kind of is, cynical about it but there are some points in his life where he recants also where he had believed in a metaphysical or oh yeah he definitely yeah. he
2: definitely has a susceptibility to it doesn't he? he's kind of into it a little
1: bit oh we've all been there so i can relate to it because obviously one of the what obviously made a lot of uh catherine and our drives during tours that we would discuss some of these conspiracy theories some of them being physical some being metaphysical and uh one of the things that does come up a lot is about secret societies that do control everything in the world uh mm-hmm. particularly um The Illuminati came up a few
2: times. For sure. So, yeah. So, Catherine, did you ever uh, have any kind of run-ins with the spiritual spooky world?
0: No, because I've made it very clear to them that I'm not ready. And I feel (laughs) like the... I keep hearing that the metaphysical and the unexplained ghosts and spirits and all these things show themselves to people who are receptive. So I try to send a message out before bed, you know, nope, not me, not ready. I'm not the one. And so they don't show themselves to me. And I do believe in it though. I've When I was growing up, my top three fears were ghosts, aliens, and sharks. And I feel like that's because those three things are from what would be a different universe to a child. I'm still scared of what's in the sea and I don't really understand what's in space. And I'm completely oblivious to what's happening in the supernatural world, but I definitely believe in all of those, you know, I believe the sea exists just because I haven't been to the bottom of it. Same as I believe in all the supernatural stuff. And I, I love Dane that cultures like black Texas um, (laughs) really (laughs) go all in on Jesus and spiritualism because it would be foolish not to think that there are conspiracies and a higher power and, and things which can't be explained just to imagine that we're all just here, like organically, like mushrooms. I mean, I just, I think it's so much fun and it shows a lot of curiosity and intelligence to speculate about what else there is and speaking in tongues is cool. Like I, I, I'm so into all that stuff, but no, no one has, shown themselves to me, no. Not, but not yet, my but uncles, yeah. not, I mean, never, no. I keep sending the message out, go away. Hey,
1: you're like, extra actually extra extra in the phone book. Don't look me up. This number <laughs> yeah. is restricted.
0: Take me off your list. <laughs> I don't think I could handle it. I would be like one of those people in the horror films that immediately dies. I think I would just not be able to handle it.
1: Um, I think I'd be the same as well. You wouldn't have time to kill yeah. me. I'm too busy having this stroke.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I just can't. It would be a waste of time, yeah. Although I went to a psychic and I can give you her number if you're interested. I think she's very good. And she lets you record the reading and she says it might not make sense. Oh, she's cool. And she says um, it might not make sense for a number of years, but eventually it will make sense. And she, I should listen to it again because this is probably six years ago, but she spoke about, she said I had a very interesting aura as soon as I came in and she said that I would have a very musical son one day And I was worried about an ex cropping back up in my life. And she promised me that he would be dead. And even though I think he's, he's officially still alive, he's really dead from my life. I haven't seen or heard from him since. So Um, she was just really cool. And she firmly believed in moving on. I could see that she can, she can see something. She believes it. And that's I just need a. I need a go-between person. I don't want to see it myself, but I can have it told to me for 160 pounds by a lady in Hampstead Heath.
1: Yeah, just get an agent, and I, th- and, and I think that's the key. And I think that's. What, I think all those points are important as comedians. I think to be very good at this job, you have to be prepared to at least indulge, even if you don't wholly believe in uh, more uh, alternative ideas. And um, yeah, it's just seeing humanity from a different angle, because I think that's always going to be the way you're able to mine humanity for more relatable yeah. material it is not the stuff you can see with your five senses and stuff. That's a bit imperceivable.
2: Yeah. Um, and yeah. I think yeah. Jamali does a great job on his show, kind of looking at some of this stuff, because Jamali's view of the world is pretty unique. I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's so really funny.
1: It's important and it makes, it makes the show uh, very good. And I think it's great that he uh, is able to, um, Kind of contribute to these conversations and and, and hear out his guests. Uh, yeah. so I also heard his episode it's... with uh, Alison Spittle as well, where she was talking about being chased by a banshee. Uh, so, there's, <laughs> particularly some. So, there's some Irish spirituality there for you as well, Catherine. What um, is a banshee? So, a banshee is a spirit uh, supposed to be a woman who basically will chase after you or wail, but she like wails so loud. Normally, her wailing is uh prefacing the death of somebody uh-huh. or a tragic event but they also but they basically just convey their sorrow by this wailing and it's supposed to be like super frightening and gripping if she chases and she'll chase after you and stuff but no. she's uh but essentially she's a woman that's been wronged and is uh crying out for her restitution which i feel like probably has some uh grounding in reality so well, i mean it might have
0: been a real woman outside the concert yeah. chasing allison
1: precisely yeah and somebody and somebody could have just interpreted it the other way but you know, I think a lot of the time as hu- human beings, we try to use uh, paranormal explanations for stuff we don't yet understand. Yeah. And I feel like that is the premise for the show uh, with Jamali, is that like he has a very unique uh, view of the world, but is definitely prepared to indulge other people, which I think is very healthy and have different viewpoints. Yeah, and That's what works for comedy anyway, is just to uh, learning knowing how people think, so I think it's just beneficial for humanity and uh, for comedy as well.
0: Yeah, it shows so much mental dexterity to yes and something like that and not to just shut it down. I can't stand them. People go, no, no. I've seen no evidence of that. No. It's like, oh, all right. You know everything then.
1: Yeah, because you've never seen the actual planets in the solar system, but you believe they exist. Even though we found out that Pluto isn't even one of those planets. So from that scientific discovery alone, it's allowed my mind to remain massively open about uh, the stuff I don't necessarily see. Particularly about the sea as well. Because the other day I saw what I think was supposed to be an octopus, but it was like, inflating like a balloon and I was like that has no connection to any species I've seen on earth and you know just looking at encephalopods alone like squids and octopuses yeah. in the deeper parts of the sea they can change their shape collapse their skeletons change their color no uh, thanks yeah they could change their gender just like that I think you know we talk about alien life being advanced civilizations we're maybe seeing it happen in our seas anyway
0: I oh, hate the sea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I I also feel like my city upbringing has made it bad for the sea. I was in Australia at a beach and a wave came up and I saw fish in that and I was like, "What no. the fuck are they doing in there?" I'm out of here. <laughs> Forgetting that that's actually their natural habitat and their home.
0: It's a so, Thorpe Park for fish. They go let's let's ride the waves today.
1: It's a <laughs> no. The sea thanks. is a big old marine orgy and I don't need to be any part of that. You know that I guess unless you want to you know have mermaids then hey i just don't get it
2: well that oh, might be the next podcast we all do together underwater maybe not actually sorry that's probably not really there.
0: it would just be me being really negative like don't go down there it's not your it, business it would be and a bad travel
1: log for me and you Catherine. if you were in the ocean they were like let's take a dive here nah we're all right let's let's uh let's go let's go to a restaurant let's do that <laughs> yeah. um so thanks for joining us on our inaugural Audible Comedy Club episode brought to you by Audible and Acast Creative. If you'd like to discover more episodes from the Audible Comedy Club series, then you can do so across the following podcasts over the coming weeks. Drunk Women Solving Crime, The Guilty Feminist, Cuddle Club with Lou Sanders, and Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast.
0: If you want to listen to the podcast that we've discussed today, then all you need to do is download and subscribe to Audible. By doing so, you'll also have access to podcasts and audiobooks from other amazing comedians, such as Daisy May Cooper, a real... Real hilarious, unique comedy voice. And the super famous, super amazing movie star comedian, Jack Whitehall.
1: Amazing. Next on my list would be Jack Whitehall, uh, as well as Daisy May Cooper. And also uh, Lolly Adafope. I caught Lolly Adafope, I think at the National Comedy Awards, when she was working on her new podcast, Fan Mail which I believe is produced by Steve Coogan. So that is going to be a dynamite uh, combination. Also, if you want to find out more about Audible's offering, just head over to audible.co.uk.
0: Subscription required. See audible.co.uk for terms. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Bye.
2: Bye.